Welcome to the most nutritious hour of business talk all week. This is Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. Your host and moderator is Bonnie D. Graham. You'll hear from the innovators who have learned to use game-changing technologies to shake up the status quo and help move today's businesses in new directions. Now, here's Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, welcome, welcome. If you want to run with the Game Changers and change the world, you are absolutely, positively in the right place. We always say it, we mean it, and it's true. Let's see what the buzz on the street is today. Well, here's an interesting one. I want you to listen carefully. Carefully. I'm going to throw a lot of words around, but they're very important. This is a quote from the SAP Digital Transformation Executive Study with research and analytics support from Oxford Economics called Four Ways Leaders Set Themselves Apart. So let me read the quote, and this will set the stage for our topic today. Quote, companies that view technology as a tool rather than an integrated part of a vastly different business future risk their very survival. So we've got a lot of words in there to talk about today, and let me set the stage even further. Welcome to the fourth industrial revolution, where the economy is increasingly based on three things, knowledge, creativity, and adaptability. That's a lot for a lot of companies to grasp. Digital technologies are already changing the world and challenging businesses everywhere. So SAP researchers and futurists, that's an important part of this, are studying the major trends to understand what today's digital transformation leader needs to start and what to stop. When to zig and what to, when to zag. No, this is not a race to the finish. This is not a poem. It's real. To ensure their company remains relevant tomorrow. There are three key areas the study addressed. Number one, what defines a digital transformation leader? Very important. Two, how do they make changes transformational and not just incremental? Now think about that. How are you approaching digital for your company? And part of that is what are their priorities? Are they focusing on the customer or the talent in their workforce? And last but not least, what technology bets are they making that you should too? If you're afraid to dip your toe in the pool, if you're standing on the sidelines, you want to listen up, even if you think you're a digital leader. Listen up. I have three experts on the show today who are going to help us look at what the study found and give their POVs, their points of view, on what's really happening here. So let me introduce the panel, and then we'll talk to them. First up, my new manager, David Yonker, Vice President, Thought Leadership Marketing at SAP. Joining him is another colleague of mine, Michael Rander. He's a research director Digital Transformation and Future of Work, also at SAP and rounding out the panel, a futurist, a sci-fi aficionado, I'll say, who was on a show with me a couple weeks ago, Dan Wellers, Global Lead for Digital Futures at SAP. Welcome, panel. And now let's start with David Yonker. David dug deep looking for a quote for today's show, and he discovered a woman named Maria Edgeworth who lived from 1768 to 1849. She was a prolific Anglo-Irish writer of adult and children's literature. She was one of the first realist writers, and she had very advanced views for a woman of her time, get this, on estate management, politics, and education, and she corresponded with some of the leading literary and economic writers of the day, including Sir Walter Scott. Think about this. They didn't have internet. They may not have even had phones, and she was talking to some of the greats. Uh, one piece of trivia, David, you might not know, is that she was the second child of Richard Lovell Edgeworth, who eventually fathered 22 children by three wives. That's all I'm going to say. Oh, they wow. were a prolif- prolific family. So here's the quote David selected from Maria Edgeworth. Fortune's wheel never stands still. The highest point is, therefore, 
the most perilous. She was good. David Yonker, how have you been? Good. How are you, Bonnie? I'm fine, thank you. David, do you believe that there's actually a Twitter handle celebrating Maria Edgeworth? I'm not kidding you. Really? Yep. That makes sense. Her her writing is, uh, I mean, she was a prolific writer and wrote a lot of books, of course. Um, so, uh, so not surprised, I guess, though I didn't, didn't, uh, didn't realize that. So tell me about why you picked the quote today. We're talking about digital disruption, digital transformation, leaders who set themselves apart, leaders who see the future vision and making technology part of their business practice for the future, not just, oh, we'll just buy a little technology and make it a tool. So how does her quote fit into that, David? Yeah, we're, we're uh, as your your opening uh, monologue uh, uh, talked about. You know, we're going through. We've been going through uh, revolutions uh, much uh, faster and much more often than before. And, and every time you've got some major change in the way we do things, the way we do business, or uh, you know, those sorts of things, big tech, technological revolutions, for example, um, it changes the game. And and so there are lots of uh, companies and organizations, for example, that that have been very successful in the past, um, you know, but will struggle to figure out how to move forward uh, into the future. And so, you know, they've reached a high point in the business that they do, you know, running the business the way they do in a more traditional approach, if you like. And as these new innovations and revolutions sort of come along, um, it can be very difficult for them you know, to think about how they move on to that next revolution from that, that high point they're at, if, you know, in their business, if you like. It's a very difficult thing to go from a, um, a high point and go down and through a valley onto the next high point. Thank you, David. Very, very interesting. Um, just a quick question for you before I, I go to Michael Rander and his opening quote. David, do you think listeners... Anybody listening today, whether they're listening to us live here or they listen to the the recording of this show, do you think they're going to say, what, really? Really? How, how come I didn't know this? This this is breaking. Are they going to say, yeah, we're already on it? What What's your thought on, is the news getting out on how to become that transformational leader who's really going to make it in the future? What's your quick overview? I think companies are struggling with it, right? I, mm. I think that... Uh, it's it's not always very clear, you know, how to get there. I think people realize, I think it, it, most people realize they need to change, um, you know, but that path to change, I think, is often very murky, uh, very foggy is the way I think of it. You know, they might see some silhouettes, silhouettes off in the distance, if you like, of, of companies that have been successful, right, um, in either making that transition or, or, you know, maybe new digital native companies have grown up um, and they look to those. But how they got there, how those companies got there, I think is sometimes uh, um, uh, hard to see. Um, and it's also, if they can see a path forward, you know, uh, it's sometimes very difficult uh, to, to make the decisions that need to be made to get there, right? To, to sort of step off of that high point of where they're at and step down, if you like, and make those investments to, to uh, sort of go through the fog and try and reach the other side. Thank you, David. Very, very interesting insights. Yeah, we're going to be talking about that a lot. I appreciate that. And now let's turn to Michael Rander. He is a newcomer on Game Changers Radio. Michael, welcome. And Michael has selected a quote from the wonderful Ansel Adams, full name Ansel Easton Adams, 1902 to 1984, a little more contemporary than Ms. Edgeworth. He was an American photographer and environmentalist. His black and white landscape photographs of the American West, especially Yosemite National Park, have been widely reproduced on calendars, posters, 
his books and the internet, and he founded the photography group called Group F-64, I think that's the F-stop, along with fellow photographers Edward Weston and Willard Van Dyke. Here is the quote. This is an interesting one, Michael selected. Quote, you don't take a photograph, you make it. Welcome, Michael. How are you today? Thank you, Bunny. I am great. How are you doing? Uh, well, thank you for asking. I'm great now that you're here. So tell me about this quote. I looked at it. I puzzled about it. I said, this is an interesting one. I never quite thought about it that way. So tell us what the quote means, and then how does it relate to our topic of digital leadership? Go ahead, Michael. All right. So I have a background in photography, and it's a, sort of a side business I do, so it obviously comes from there. Um, but what it means to me is that uh, from a photography perspective, what goes into a photograph, it's not just taking it. It's equal parts creativity, it's preparation, it's visual, it's creating a visual storyline, it's situational awareness, it's um, technical expertise, and then innovation in terms of bringing something new to whoever is going to see that photo. Um, so those are all the components that actually go into making a great photo uh, instead of just taking a snapshot. And, and, and really creating that level of excellence that Ansel Adams was, uh, was known for. So, so for me, that was the, the background for that quote. And, and bringing that over to the business side, it, it's sort of the same thing, I think. I, I think we could relate it to, to business transformation, digital transformation in that sense, that if you don't have all those components, it's not just something you do. It's something you need to prepare for. You need to envision what you're actually doing. And you need to create the right situation, have the organization behind you, and uh, and that's really what's going to bring you to the next level. Thank you. Very, very interesting. Um, you know, this applies so well today, doesn't it, Michael, with, with everybody as a photographer. Everybody's got some kind of mobile device, or almost everybody uh, within our listening range around the world has a mobile device. Everybody's a photographer. And I wonder how many people think about it that deeply. Uh, I'm going to save a question for the whole panel once we introduce Dan Wellers and get his quote. And my question for the panel, just to give a heads up to, to David and to Michael and Dan, is... What is the DNA of this leader? Not just how are they thinking, but where do they come from? Are they millennials? Are they seasoned business executives? Are they going to have to lose sleep, basically, or invest sleep time in figuring out how to do this, or can they do this while they're still working at their job and helping to run a company? Let's just leave that on the side, but I'm very curious as to who these people are, not just how they're behaving, so we'll get to that in a minute. Thank you, uh, Michael. Thank you so much, and welcome. And Dan Wellers, you're back, and Dan has selected a quote. Yes, he is. I can hardly stand it to be here. Oh, well, sit down, please. That's okay. You don't have to stand up. Uh, He selected a quote from Ray Bradbury. That's Ray Ray Douglas Bradbury, 1920 to 2012, even more contemporary than the other two, was an American author and screenwriter who worked in the genres of fantasy, science fiction. That's why Dan picked him. Horror and mystery fiction, widely known for his dystopian novel. Many of you have heard of this. Fahrenheit 451 that he wrote way back in 1953, and his science fiction and horror story collections. I don't want to read those. The Martian Chronicles, The Illustrated Man, and I Sing the Body Electric, as well as many more. He won a 2007 Pulitzer Citation, and he consulted on TV shows, include, and screenplays, Moby Dick, and it came from outer space. Wow. Uh, Did you know, Dan, that the New York Times called Bradbury, on his death in 2012, the writer most responsible for bringing 
bringing modern science fiction into the literary mainstream. I bet you knew that, Dan. Now, here's the quote Dan has selected from Ray Bradbury. Living at risk is jumping off a cliff and building your wings on the way down. I like the quote. Dan, how have you been? I've been fantastic, Bonnie. Good. Thank you. This, this quote reminds me a little bit of the one that David Yonker picked from Maria Edgeworth. She says, fortune's wheel never stands still. The highest point is therefore the most perilous. She's looking up, and Ray Bradbury is looking down, jumping off the cliff. So, Dan, talk to me about that. <laughs> That's a great way to I had to that. say that. We're, we're yeah, bookends. Talk to me. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I love this. And it first caught my eye because it's not on the face of it, at least, about, about, about science fiction. So the fact that the science fiction writer came up with this, um, that's, uh, yeah, that was one of the things that uh, attracted me to it. But I also liked it because of, of how much it says. At first, the idea seems like suicide, right? jumping off a cliff. But, but he's not saying um, trying to build your wings on the way down. He says building your wings on the way down. And that's important because it, it assumes success, that you're going to figure out a way, that a great way to find out what we are truly capable of, and perhaps the only way to find out what we're truly capable of, is to give ourselves no choice, to jump off that proverbial cliff and trust that as creative, intelligent human beings, we will figure it out. So, so it's really inspirational from that standpoint, and it connects to this topic today because it's a way of, of helping us get out of our comfort zone. It's easy when you think about digital transformation to think incrementally, to think about um, improving existing business processes by, you know, 10%, 15%, some small number, not doing something fundamentally different, uh, to take the low-risk but, therefore, low-reward path. And this is a way to, to, maybe from a different angle, perhaps, but to get us out of that thinking. Thank you very much. Very, very interesting. And now I'm going to circle back to David Yonker, and I'm going to ask the question of all three of you that I asked a couple of seconds ago. I gave you a fair warning, David, and the question is, what is the DNA? Who are these people? We're going to talk about the study that SAP did with the support of Oxford Economics, but who are the people? Where do they come from? Are they in companies already? Are they being brought in from outside? What, what is the DNA or the MO of these leaders? David, how do we identify them, or what's their, what's their origin? Yeah, great question. I actually think the, um, uh, you know, I'm going to riff off the quotes a little bit more, if, if, if that's okay. The, sure. Um, you know, what, because uh, I, I, I think actually uh, Dan's quote uh, and, uh, and the quote from, uh, Maria Edgeworth is uh, actually provide a you know sort of a good framework for understanding that right. Uh, the um, in both cases they're at the highest point right or at a very high point. Let's we'll call it the highest point. Um, the uh, I think the the people who are are successful at digital transformation and the organizations that are are uh, successful at, at digital transformation are willing to sort of peer over the edge very much like. Um, uh, you know the, the the person jumping off the cliff, if you like, in uh, in Dan's quote, um, and uh, and and they react differently. They recognize that they're at a high point, but they react differently to to that. Right, uh, the mm-hmm. one jumps off and is focused on building the wings to get them to fly across that valley, if you like, right, and and to that other point, to, to that other location. Um, I think uh, I think many other uh, people and organizations. Um, 
you know, look at the highest point and they're focused on just that high point. And so they slip and slide down the edge, you know, if you like, uh, down into the valley, but constantly looking back to the high point where they were, constantly trying to sort of uh, scramble back up to that high point. Um, and, uh, and that's the, you know, in many ways, the, you know, the, the, the sort of the two, I think, personalities for pe- how people sort of uh, respond and react. So, you know, I, I think it takes uh, a, a lot more guts to sort of look and say, you know what, we're going to sort of jump off that edge. To have a vision to say, okay, this is how we're going to build the wings um, and to have that courage or guts, if you like, to, to actually make that leap. You know, so it's more about the leaders have a certain set of characteristics, I think, um, in their DNA, whether organizationally or it's the leadership at the top, you know, that really sort of, uh, you know, help them to cross that, cross that chasm, if you like. Thank you. That's what I was looking for. Let's see what Michael Rander says. Michael, you don't have to agree with David, even though you work for him. You can, you can come at it from a different perspective. Feel free to use the quotes if you like, or photography is a metaphor. What's your point of view, Michael? So I, I, I agree with David to, to a wide extent. I would say that you could probably take it even further, right? So if, if you take the chasm and you're saying the leader is the guy who, who's willing to sort of build the wings and, and take the job, I, I would agree in the sense that it's something that they need to do. They need to lead by example and, and they need to take the first steps. But more than that, I would say that being a successful uh, digital transformation leader is about strapping wings to the entire organization and make them take the jump as well with you so that it becomes sort of a company-wide effort. It becomes a jump that they're all into and they're all doing at the same time. And that's really what's going to create sort of the benefits. And we can talk about the benefits of the study that the study showed and all that, but it's really about the whole organization coming together to make it happen. And that's what's truly going to make a difference compared to everyone else who's doing it piecemeal. Thank you. Very interesting insights. Dan Wellers, let's build on that. What's your thought? I'm going to answer the question, Bonnie, perhaps a little differently, not Mm -hmm. answer it from the perspective of just leaders, but um, answer it from the perspective of everybody, um, employees as well. Uh, I don't... I don't know, and I can't, I'm not going to try to predict where they come from, uh, and I'm going to answer it, think, uh, answer it from the future perspective in terms of what sorts of skills, what sorts of capabilities is a better word, actually, will these people need to have instead mm-hmm. of rising up through the ranks like leaders do today in a specific role, a specific function, and excelling at a certain set of business or technical things it's going to be really important to, to develop uh, um, what we call soft skills today, things like curiosity and imagination and risk-taking, being comfortable jumping off that cliff, uh, critical thinking, creativity, and the, the persistence to carry it through. There's really nothing soft about these soft skills, but the, these, are, these are the ones that we're all, we're all going to be digital leaders. It's not just the people who have the title. We're all going to have to play that role if we're, going to be, uh, if we're going to remain relevant and have our businesses remain that way, too, going into the future. 
Thank you. Three very interesting perspectives and three very interesting gentlemen on the panel today. I'm going to go around the panel briefly. We want to get a little bit up close and personal and see who they really, really are. Yes, we know who you really, really are. David Yonker, two questions you've been on before. You know, number one, approximately what part of the world are you calling from? Sorry to end with a preposition there. And what's your favorite drink, David, if it's not in front of you right now? What powers David Yonker to be so smart? I said it. I said it. <laughs> great question. Great question. I'm still trying to figure the second one out. The, uh, that last one out. The, uh, um, so I am uh, calling in from uh, Waterloo, Ontario, Canada. So mm-hmm. it is, uh, if you, so hopefully you guys, everyone on the call or everyone listening in knows where Canada is. Um, so I am, Waterloo yes. is about an hour west of of Toronto, and uh, it's a little town. It's a, it's a, I wouldn't call it a sleepy town. It's a very much a university town. It's got uh, a number of uh, key universities for Canada here, um, and it's a big tech town. So if you've heard mm. of uh, BlackBerry or OpenText, those are the uh, global headquarters for BlackBerry and OpenText is actually in Waterloo, where the two companies were founded. So. What am I drinking? Well, I got lots of drinks I like, let me tell you. Um, <laughs> the, uh, so depending on the day and the, and the temperature and all that kind of stuff. So today I'm drinking a very wholesome drink. Um, and not always drinking wholesome drinks, but today I am. It is water with uh, hot water with uh, ginger root and lemon. And uh, it's, a, it's a pretty cold day up here in Waterloo. It's about, um, about 4 degrees Celsius. So I think that's probably about 40 degrees Fahrenheit for, for those of you that, are, that use the wrong way to measure. Uh, <laughs> I knew that was coming. I, I knew that was coming. David, when I hear the that drink, hot water, yeah. hot water with ginger hot root water, lemon. Hot water I'm with just... ginger root, slices of ginger root and oh. uh, a, a, a slice of uh, lemon. You're killing me. I'm I'm all puckered up. I know that I have friends who of Mediterranean origin origin who like a lot of ginger root and lemon, and they use it in all kinds of cooking. And I'm always like, okay, <laughs> thank you. <very laughs> it's acquired taste, but let me tell you, it's once you get used to it, it's really good. You know, to, to I, wrap your hands, especially right now, it's a pretty cold day, so to wrap your hands around that nice warm mug and just take a sip is is uh, fantastic. I, I'm just going to have to take your word for it. By the way, you work with one of my colleagues, our colleagues, uh, Kirsten Boyleau at SAP. She's in Waterloo, correct? That is correct. Yeah, she's just yeah. in the hall. Well, good news. Kirsten just gave me the heads up that she's renewing her series for 2018, Changing the Game with Social Selling. She does a great job. We have wonderful guests, wonderful talk about digital leaders. These are some of the leaders in social selling all over the world. They're all in their own right, lecturers and experts, and and she gets great panels. So she is very gung-ho, and so there's a shout-out to Kirsten. She's going to be on the show with me next week, actually. We're bringing back a part two topic. So thank you, David. Drink up. And Michael Rander, same questions. Where are you calling from? And what are you drinking now? If it's interesting, if not, what would you rather be drinking? <laughs> I don't know if it's interesting, but we'll give it a go. So okay. I'm from San Diego, California. Um, so I definitely have If it does, uh, it's probably in the what, 22 degrees Celsius up in the 60s uh, here. So enjoying that for sure. I moved here about three and a half years ago and really... Love it in San Diego. Uh, I've lived in Canada as well, so I know what the the winter is like there. But uh, oh, yeah. can't beat surfing in in January. That's uh, I do that very poorly, by the way. <laughs> but I enjoy it. Uh, you can you uh, can do that up here. 
<laughs> you could. <laughs> I guess. Uh, <laughs> and um, what am I drinking today? Well, today I am drinking freshly squeezed orange juice. Um, mm. One, because it's like 8 o'clock in the morning. But two, uh, my daughter, who is seven, goes to elementary school. She's in second grade. And today um, they are having their annual Jogathon fundraiser. Um, and for that... All these kids need something to, to keep them with energy, basically. So yesterday, I spent a good part of my evening cutting up hundreds of oranges into <laughs> little slices. Uh, and uh, Yay, Dad! Left from that. So um, I'm drinking orange juice today. There you go. Well, I have fond memories of fresh squeeze, and we call it fresh squoze orange juice, especially when you get good summer oranges and the natural sweetness comes out, and it's, oh, wonderful. They, they can't duplicate that in a bottle or a, or a carton. I'm sorry. Thank you very much, Michael. Nice to know more about you. I appreciate that. And Mr. Wellers, Dan, where art thou and what art thou drinking today? Not to wax biblical, but talk to me. <laughs> I am in Ridgefield, Connecticut, a green, leafy suburb of New York City. Uh, and out my window are deer and squirrels and a lot of leaves on the ground, which I'm going to have to clean up in a couple of days. Uh, in in um, what I'm drinking, I got to bed a little later than usual last night. So this morning, I'm drinking a, a coffee. It's, it's an actual product. It has a really colorful name, which um, the, the, the family-friendly version of the name is Wake the Heck Up. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> And the, the, the description on the side of the bag, which I'm re- reading from right now. Uh, in, it says, I've, I've got it. I've looked it up, and the, the right word starts with F just came up. Well, it's on I'm Amazon. Okay. Keep, uh, talking. Uh, need, Keep talking. Need, need to be alert. This coffee will put some stride <clears throat> in your step, and you will finally reorganize that garage and get to that lawn. Wake the heck up. With this coffee, your new motto will be, sleep is for the dead. I'm looking at it. of time and your family rating, I'll stop there. Wow. The product description is need to be altered. I don't know what that means. Got some studying to do. Can't afford to fall asleep at the wheel. Here's your remedy. This coffee makes a serious strong cup of joe. It'll put stride in your step, put lead in your pencil, not to mention you'll, yep, there you go. You did it. Wake the blank up and live. Oh, you will not perspire. You will percolate. This is clearly a better option than the caffeine IV drip. Oh, Dan, listen. I think I've done over a thousand live radio shows for SAP since I started this in 2011. I've probably spoken to four, four or five thousand people on the radio. Everybody has to give a drink, their favorite drink, and this is a first. So Dan Wellers. <laughs> You get the, I think this is the unmentionable drink of the year award. <laughs> Which we just mentioned. We, well, I just said one letter, but you know, it's oh, still, still a family, right, 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 it's right. still a no, family the show. Unmentionable, absolutely. In ca- that's true. And in case right. you're wondering, Michael Rander doesn't know me, the other two do, what I get to drink on radio show days. Michael, they do not allow me anywhere near caffeine. So Dan's coffee is definitely not in my house today. All they <laughs> let me drink is a cool, clear cup of water in a cool, clear mug, but I get to pick the straw color. And today the straw is green because I recently relocated from New York, Long 
Island to Durham, North Carolina, and we are not seeing a very lot of changing of the leaf colors here yet. I still have roses in my front garden, which I'm looking out from my new office window here, and I have a pond in the back with a beautiful fountain that has about eight different spray levels. It lights up at night, and we have herons and ducks and geese, and we have Harvey the heron, who in bad weather can be seen walking on the water across the pond. That's all I'm going to say. So that's all I have to say, and all I have to say on top of that is we're going to take a quick break. We're almost halfway through, believe it or not. It's a serious topic. Companies need leaders. Leaders need to know what's going on in the world. The world is digital. Get over it. Get on board. Your company needs to stay relevant, but you need new business processes. You need attitude. You need to be a leader and bring the whole company along with you. What separates today's digital leaders apart? Who are they? What do they know that maybe the rest of us or you aren't quite either knowledgeable about or we haven't quite figured out how to do it? Companies that view technology as a tool rather than an integrated part of a vastly different business future risk their very survival. That's a quote as I opened up from the SAP Digital Transformation Executive Study done with support from Oxford Economics. We're going to take a deep dive into the report when we come back. My very special guests are three gentlemen, very smart gentlemen at SAP, my colleagues David Yonker, Michael Rander, Dan Wellers. I'm Bonnie D. Graham, in case you didn't figure that out. We're going to take a break, so I don't even think of touching that mouse, that app, that dial. 90 seconds. Count them along with us. We'll be right back. Aaron out. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. The time for enterprise mobility is now, according to IDC. By 2013, over 1.19 billion workers worldwide will be using mobile technology, comprising 34.9% of the workforce. The impact of mobility on business is clear. Increasing numbers of business users are expected to handle critical tasks and decision-making in real time, no matter where they are. SAP and Sybase and SAP Company offer mobile applications and underlying infrastructure with integration to SAP. SAP systems for secure access to business processes anytime, anywhere, and on any device. www.sap.com. Get the latest insights on disruptive technologies and trends that are impacting the digital economy. Listen to the SAP Digitalist Flash Briefings and take your business to the next level. Just add the SAP Digitalist Flash Briefing as a skill to your Amazon Echo, Echo Dot, or Echo View. The SAP Digitalist Flash Briefings are also available on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, VoiceAmerica.com, Overcast, TuneIn, and Stitcher. Be in the know with the SAP Digitalist Flash Briefings. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You're enjoying Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. You can send an email to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com. And you're invited to tweet your questions and comments during and after the show at Twitter, hashtag SAPRADIO. Now let's get back to Coffee Break with Game Changers. 
Yes, indeed. Serious topic. Today's digital disruption. We are in the middle of it. How are successful leaders preparing for tomorrow for themselves and their companies? Special panelists today, David Yonker, Michael Rander, Dan Wellers. They're all smart and very invested in this topic. David Yonker told me the following in his notes before the show. Here's where we're going to start the roundtable. He says, digitally native companies have a home advantage over traditional enterprises. David, we'd love to know more. Talk, please. Yeah, you know, it goes, it goes back to that quote uh, that, uh, that we started uh, with from Maria, right? So these organi- typically a traditional company, um, you know, they've been doing a business uh, a certain way for a very long time, and they've found success there. Um, and it's very difficult to move away from that, you know, from the success. You know, the, the way they've done things and the success they've had, that's sort of been their North Star for a long time. And now to sort of shift that North North Star, if you like, is it can often be uh, very difficult. Um, there's often baggage uh, that's, uh, you know, sort of being carried around as well, um, where, you know, especially if you think about like a public company, for example, where, you know, they're so driven by their quarterly numbers. It takes a very, very strong leader to say, you know, we're, we're, we have to set aside, you know, those quarterly numbers for a while while we sort of uh, readjust uh, where we're going. Um, whereas digitally native companies don't seem to have that challenge. You know, they, they get their funding, if you like. Um, you know, they, they grow up and they succeed or they don't succeed, right? So for every, for every Google, there's probably, you know, 10,000, you know, startups that, that never got, got anywhere, right? And mm-hmm. so it's a, the few that rise to the top. Um, but they built their entire model around, uh, you know, a, a digital world and, and have found success there. And so it gives them a huge advantage as they go to compete. Um, you know, the, think, the, the example I think, uh, think about often is um, uh, Sears, Sears and Amazon, right? Amazon went and built an online store where you can go and you can shop and stuff gets shipped to you. Um, this is a model that Sears actually started with as well back in the, the 1800s. The whole concept yeah. of Sears was actually a catalog. You could go wherever you lived in the United States, for example, you could go and order from that catalog. Uh, those items would get put on a train. It would be shipped to the local train station in your little town. You would go and pick up those items. Um, and it was a sort of a cornerstone for the Sears uh, stores um, or uh, retail experience, if you like, that company uh, forever in a day. And so you would think that here's a company, you know, that could have figured out how to translate, you know, their catalog into an online experience, and yet they couldn't figure it out. Uh, and in fact, so much so that Sears Canada, up in Canada, it's actually just announced recently that it's going out of business. Um, mm. And uh, they're, they're closing up all the stores, they're selling everything off, and they're done. They just couldn't compete. Um, and, uh, and so, you know, the, the, so how, how do companies sort of get away from that? I think in many ways the traditional companies, they need to, to figure out how to partner with others to win. You know, and I mean partner, it could be partnerships in terms of with other companies and organizations, and we're starting to see that actually in the retail space, where some of these big uh, physical retailers are partnering up with companies like Google, for example, you know, to try and take on Amazon. Um, But it could be partnering in terms of bringing in talent, the right people who think, you know, you know, and have a sort of a digital native mindset and bring them in to lead the effort to, to figure out how to do uh, digital transformation. 
Thank you, David. A lot of good points in there. Michael Rander, love to get your thoughts. Yeah, I, I think that's that's the right thing. I mean, digital and native companies do have an advantage for sure, and I agree with David on that. I, I think as we look at the companies and say, okay, well, they they are investing in new technology and they are investing in different ways of doing things to improve the customer experience. That's really what's making a difference. Um, but it's also about the way that they organize their company, right? So it's also about the way that they manage. It's also the, about the way they hire and treat their talent. It's also about the way they set up organizationally. So there's definitely an instant adva- advantage just by being digitally native, um, but they need to follow up on that with all the sort of other elements there in order to stay in business. And that's what, I mean, as they pointed out, there are definitely companies that are digitally native that don't make it. Um, but that's what they need to focus on as well, because there is, I mean, you, you can't just be stuck on the digital piece, it's going to be a very important piece of it, um, but it's not going to be the end all uh, for success. So there are different pieces that they need to go through, different steps they need to go through as well. Thank you, Michael. Dan Wellers, love to get your thoughts. Join us, please. Sure, sure. Uh, um, I agree they do have home field advantage uh, when they start, but as we know, it's pretty easy to blow a home field advantage um, as any mm-hmm. sports fan follower I won't mention the Buffalo Bills, my favorite football team. You um, didn't. But so, so I, th- I think I think companies, large companies, actually, they should have an advantage. They they have the resources, they have the ability to scale. They have the scale. They have the size now. Uh, what they need, they need to drop the baggage, as David said. They need to get the right mindset. They need to bring on the right talent. They need to have all the right tools. And if they can get all of these things aligned they can you know, blow away the smaller companies before they ever have a chance to get a, 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 to, to get a foothold. And if you think about you know, a couple of examples that just instantly popped to mind, um, automobile firms, uh, the, the, the ones that are moving the fastest into electric vehicles or self-driving cars, like Volvo announcing they're going to go to an all-electric fleet by 2019, um, or companies like L.L. Bean or REI who have moved from, from selling just outdoor clothes uh, to, to, a, to an outdoor experience or look at, at Under Armour. They've been around for a long time, and they now think of themselves not as a provider of, of athletic gear but um, as, as a provider of, of health, of good health and that experience. So big companies can do it, but, yes, it takes a completely way different way of thinking about who they are and aligning their skills and competencies uh, to make that happen. Thank you very much. David, you want to wrap this one up in a nice, neat bow, and I'll go on to something from Michael's list. Uh, David, any comments on what your colleagues just shared about your topic? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I, you know, I, I think that, it, that um, you know, big companies can make the move. Um, you know, it can be done. The, uh, but I, but I think that the the, the issue there is that um, uh, um, you know it's a it, it, it takes a mind uh, shift uh, and that is not an easy thing to do um, to to really sort of think differently especially when you're a larger organization because it's not just one person that needs to do that mind shift it's figuring out how an entire organization makes that mind shift um, and and runs in that direction and. Um, um, and so, you know, I'm sure the stats suggest that companies will make that make that move, right? I, I forget the 
I'm going to get the stat wrong, but, you know, it's 50% of, you know, the Fortune 500 will likely be out of business in the next, you know, in the coming decades. Um, uh, I mean, that suggests that 50% of them are going to figure out how to make that transition and, and or they're in an industry that just, you know, uh, is, you know, not impacted by digital transformation at some level, but 50% of them won't make it, right? Um, and there'll be companies like Sears that just get hammered that should have had that home advantage, uh, but just could not figure out how to translate it. Um, and, uh, and so it really takes uh, thinking very seriously about how to approach it, I think, for any, any uh, company that wants to succeed. Thank you, David. I just found there's a quote here from Peter Diamandis. Um, he, uh, CNBC interviewed him in 2014, and he said a study from the John M. Olin School of Business at Washington University estimates that 40% of today's Fortune 500 companies on the S&P 500 will no longer exist in 10 years. And that was 2014. So that the, the goal, the, the uh, end point there is 2024 and 40%. That's a huge number, wouldn't you say, David? Yeah, it's a massive number. Yeah, for sure. Okay, we're going to move on to cover some more of this study we're talking about on today's episode. I'm looking at Michael Rander's notes. And, Michael, let me introduce something and then have you go with it. And There's a four-parter here, so you can just cover them briefly, and then we'll see what Dan and David have to say. Michael says, the strategy that companies need to adopt to set up their future success, and he calls it, uh, from the study, the four pillars to a truly digital mindset. Now, that's, I think, a different flavor than what we've been discussing so far. Four parts. Let me just read them briefly, Michael, and then you can run with this. Making transformation a priority. I think we've covered a little bit about that already. Transforming customer-facing functions first. Aha. Third is investing in next-gen technology. That was uh, a, a continuation of the thought I introduced in my opening and becoming a talent-driven organization. Michael Rander, would you please give us a little bit of definition of each of these pillars? Sure, absolutely. So I, just to set the scene, this study was something we, we undertook uh, during the past year here, and we, interviewed, we surveyed more than 3,100 executives across the world. So we're really trying to dig deep into what digital transformation means for them, what are the challenges, what are the opportunities, and what are the results. And in the end, what are we seeing in terms of uh, who, who's leading the charge and who's actually getting the most out of it? So as we looked at these 31, 3200 executive uh, responses, what we found were, was that um, there was a small group, uh, 3% or approximately 100, top, the top 100 companies, who said that they had completed digital transformation across their business. And that doesn't mean that they were done in any way. It doesn't mean that they're not going to keep doing it. It just means that they did it across their business functions. They undertook it as an enterprise-wide function. And what we saw was that they were getting much, much higher um, revenue numbers. Their, Their expectations for growth were higher. Their profit margins were expected to be higher. They have organizational efficiencies and so forth. So it was really sort of a broad um, difference between those who, who had taken that step and those who had not. So we tried to dig into what does that mean and how did they get to that? And the four pillars that you just mentioned were really mm-hmm. the sort of the key behind it. So making transformation a priority is really about having that enterprise-wide view on things, right? So you go cross-organizational and you are designing your organization to 
pick up on that constant uh, flow and enable constant change. So that's that's the one part of it. Um, in terms of transforming customer-facing functions first, that, I mean, it, it sounds obvious. Uh, you want to make sure your customers have a good experience and, and they're really successful and, and uh, they come back to you, obviously. So it's, it's something that sounds really uh, like that's something we need to do, but not everyone is doing it. So if you look at the leaders or the top 100 there, they were actually 58% more likely to cite customer empowerment as a key global trend. So they were really more focused on their customers and they tried to uh, change the functions upfront in order to ensure that their customers empowered and throughout their experience with the company. Um, the third one was investing in next-gen technology. Um, mm-hmm. and, and we really saw that the leaders, those who were really reaping the results, were just much further ahead in, in terms of investing in things like cloud computing, in um, big data, in analytics, IoT, and uh, machine learning. Just to give you an example of machine learning, 50% of the leaders are currently invested in machine learning versus 7% of everyone else. So there's a factor that is really, really uh, massive there in terms of difference, in terms of what they're investing on. And then lastly, uh, becoming a talent-driven organization. Um, It's interesting. We mentioned earlier in in the show here that uh, it's about the way that you you treat your talent and the way you work with them and the way you evolve your organization. But what we saw for the leaders was really that they're not – doing one or the other. They're not mm-hmm. trying to hire new people to deal with a new situation or new, um, new technology. They are training internally and they're hiring if they need to. Uh, so they're doing both at the same time. It's not one or the other. They're really trying to maximize their success. And as they're growing, they have the capability to do both of those things. So those are the four main pillars of the digital mindset. Thank you for laying those out for us. Very, very interesting. Dan Wellers, any comments on the four? You want to uh, em- embroider or, or enhance any of them or just anything in general? I disagree with everything Michael just said. <laughs> no, no, we were waiting for that, Dan Wellers. <laughs> Go ahead. It, that, that's, this, it, it actually sets up. That, that was great. That was a, a very good, a very good uh, summary of key findings. I'll, I'll just add that under the, the first one, the making transformation, making transformation a, a priority, uh, I, the study also brought out that part of the transformational mindset in terms of the, 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 the key leaders, the ones who are at the very top, were that they viewed it as, as they viewed, viewed transformation as more than, and I mentioned this before, incremental doing current things better. They really looked at it as doing entirely new things, looking at entirely new markets, building entirely new products, um, entirely new revenue sources and business models. That's the real definition of what transformation is. Mm -hmm. Uh, so, So that was a key part of the study as well. Thank you very much. David Yonker, any thoughts you want to add? Yeah, it's kind of hard to disagree with, uh, you know, with a with a research study. Um, the uh, but uh, you know, I think that there are some things that I think we've touched on. But you know, it's critical that you know these companies are are treating it holistically, right? It's not something you just sort of fire off to the CIO and say, "Well, it's digital transformation, so it belongs with the CIO," and and we'll see what they come back with, right? It's a it's a holistic approach to, to accomplishing this. Um, 
and if you if you don't figure out that holistic approach, then then uh, you're you're bound to fail. You're you're almost guaranteed to fail. Um, you know, it's right from the CEO down. Um, the other thing is that you know the customer first makes a lot of sense. Um, you know, really here the reason people start, you know, the successful ones begin with the customer, um, is that it's you know the the these companies win and lose based on how they win and and lose the markets that they operate in. Um, you know, if we if we go back to the Sears Canada example, you know, Sears was Sears was competing with Amazon really for that market of for people that are want to purchase things um, from home, right, and don't want to go mm-hmm. into uh, a store and browse and shop. Um, you know, they were targeting the same sort of market. Um, so it always begins, you know, in many ways with the customer. You'll win or lose your market there. When you focus on other parts of the business, you know, say your supply chain or, um, you know, your manufacturing operations, um, you know, th- those are are uh, optimizations for what you do already today, right? Whereas when you begin with the customer, it's about completely rethinking not only the market you target and how you approach them, um, but how you go about doing your business. You know, the way you do business begins first and foremost with your customers. So success will always begin there first, in my mind. Thank you, David. And we're very close to our predictions round, but Dan Wellers, I want to honor you with one topic from your list. We'll just ask you to spend about two minutes max on this. We talked about the investment in next-gen technology, but we haven't talked about the technology. Let me read this and have you just expand it a little. We may have to do part two, gentlemen. Would you like to come back, the three of you? Absolutely. I have an opening in a couple of weeks. I think I'm going to hit you with an invitation because we have way too much to discuss here. So here's what Dan said. Technology innovations like blockchain, machine learning, AR, VR, and 3D printing are disruptive individually, but their real power is when they combine, intersect, and converge. Sounds very powerful. Dan, just give us a 90-second overview of this, and we'll do our crystal ball, and then we'll come back for part two in a few weeks. Go ahead, Dan. Yeah, this is really important. It has to do with that transformational mindset, too. Mm -hmm. When they combine, intersect, and converge, you get things like the the real transformational and high-impact ideas like smart homes, smart cities, and connected healthcare and autonomous vehicles and you know, sharing economy platforms. And, and this is only going to accelerate. Uh, if you think about um, uh, you know, each, each, if you think about the, the, the way we talk about it, um, internet and social and mobile and cloud and big data, these constitute a, a technology platform. The individual things build on top of that. And as you said, they're individually disruptive. But the most powerful is when those individual technologies, the machine learning, the blockchain, 3D printing, when they combine to really change society, to change business, to change paradigms, to use an overused word. And and the result, and maybe this could be a topic for another conversation, is that it's way harder than ever to predict what is coming. So, so we can't see what actions are needed. We can't see what investments are needed today the way we currently think about planning and strategy. So change this fast along so many dimensions, it makes even next year or the year after highly uncertain with so many possible outcomes, both negative and positive, that we need a, a different way of, of developing our strategic directions and thinking about the future. 
Thank you very much. And thinking about the future, it's time to look in the crystal ball. David Yonker, take a peek from wherever you are in Waterloo and in your tech capital up there. And take a peek. Uh, I'm kind of keen on 2020, David, as somebody pointed out to me recently. It's only three New Year's Eves away. That's not far. We've been talking yeah, about it for yeah. years. It's somebody on America. Yep. Somebody on American TV used to say 2020. She doesn't do it anymore, but it just, it's just one of those earworms that's stuck in my head. So 2020, I'm going to give you each 60 seconds. That's all I have. So uh, David Yonker, look in the crystal ball. Tell me what will change dramatically about this topic of the leaders setting themselves apart in successful digital disruption. Go. Yeah, I, well, two things. So one is I think we're going to see some more traditional companies go up in flames you know, similar to the way Sears Canada has, to be honest, in the next two years. I think the second the second point is that um, I actually think, uh, you know, to, to Dan's uh, point, you know, where some of these technologies come together, I think we're going to see, um, even within the tech industry, every, you know, several decades, couple decades, um, you know, there is a, a major shift. Um, in in how you go uh, the business models and the technologies that sort of support that, and um, I think by 2020, you know, we're starting to see sort of uh, you know some of these some shift emerging. It's hard to sort of pinpoint exactly what that looks like, but I think we're going to see a big shift in, in business model yet again by 2020, sort of emerging. Thank you very much, Michael Rander. 60 seconds. They're all yours. Sure. So I think uh, I'd go with two things as well. Uh, one thing is the customer piece we talked about, so really putting the customer first, right? And, and one thing I would add to that is it's not just about a function putting the customer first. It's about the organization. So if we're looking at uh, traditional companies, they need to make sure that they come together as an complete organization to put the customer first. We cannot do it in silos. And, and one of the things that will make companies stand out is a fully-fledged customer experience. Um, so those who can do it will do well. And the other side of that is um, from a, an employee perspective, right? So the whole talent management piece is going to be important. Um, as you have a new or a new generation coming into the workplace, the companies who are able to cater to them and build a company around um, employee engagement that will translate into business results will tend to do much better. So from a sort of the future work perspective, uh, that's going to play a large part of future success for companies as well. Thank you very much. Dan Weller, 60 seconds. That's it, Max. That's all we got. Go ahead. Yours. No problem. I think in three to five years, the term digital disruption will be old news. I mean, this, this industry ah, is fond of saying that we're at an inflection ready for that. point, right? And we've been saying it for about two years now. So how long can an inflection point last? I, I think we're starting to move past it. And I think in three to five years, we'll be deep into two things. One is redefining work and how human beings, you know, how we provide economic value in the age of you know, AI and machine learning and autonomous organizations. And, you know, what is it that, that we provide that someone's willing to pay us for when so much of what we do today is going to be automated tomorrow? Bonnie, I think you're safe, but I don't know if the rest of us are. <laughs> um, and two, two, and I'll go out on a, a limb here, we, we, we'll have realized, we're starting to realize that the best way to continue to grow the economy and to increase profits and, you know, as we're fond of saying, make the world run better and improve people's lives yep. is to transition to so-called circular economy concepts. 
from a system changing from where we take resources and make the products and throw them away at the end of their life. Yep. We transform into a an economic or an economic system that is restorative and regenerative. That we redef- we redef- we redefine how we design products to eliminate. Dan, hold that thought. That's going to be. You're going to send that to me as a tweak for the update for the for the monologue. I yeah. have a date coming up in about three weeks. I want to thank our three wonderful panelists. But David Yonker, you won't believe this. We've had a real Twitter party going here. We've had Bill Newman at SAP. We've had Karen Geraldo who listens on Wednesdays. We've had. Let's see. I have a whole list here, and I can't scroll fast enough to cover. Cover them all. A UK public sector ICT is following. We've had Michael Rander talking and tweeting. MSETTD is tweeting. We've had so many more. I will send a thank you to all of you. We have somebody with Mickey Mouse ears. The real Calvin H tweeted about 20 times. Thank you, real Calvin H, and a lot more. So thank you all. And InnovaScape is tweeting. And Bonbon, whoever you are, that's a very scary mask. So here's my call to action. Fasten your seatbelt. What in the world? you're waiting for. Go out and be a game changer today, just like David Yonker, just like Michael Rander, just like Dan Wellers, and just like all the people who are succeeding with digital disruption. We're not going to say that word too much longer. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. Thanks for listening. Talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning in to Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. To keep the Coffee Break conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter, hashtag pound sign S-A-P-R-A-D-I-O. Please join your host, Bonnie D. Graham, again next Wednesday morning at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Have a great week.